It's a privilege uh, for me today to talk about the greatest generation. The baby boomers was the first generation where we thought that the world would be better over time. But my generation was looking for more and seeking everything and trying to find answers for themselves. I know for the millennial generation, we were too young to really understand what we were getting ourselves into. Like we focus on school, but like we want to like hang out with our friends a lot. So we always thought that, you know, there's always gonna be a better day. What we realized is that wasn't the case at all. get to that in just a minute. We're starting a new series today, as many of you know, on uh, generations, and it's going to be quite a ride for us as a church. Before we uh, do that, as our uh, Cactus Campus and Mountain Valley, and then our chapel next door and the venue across the way join us, I want to uh, read you a scripture, and then I'm going to make a comment, and then we're going to pray. The scripture are the very words of Jesus found in Matthew 18. We're going to begin at verse 18, and I'll read up through 20. Just, just listen to these words. Jesus is speaking. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that you ask, it shall be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. For two or three have gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. What an amazing promise that Jesus gave us, uh, twofold if you were paying attention, that one, when we gather in his name, just two or three of us, but imagine when it's more of us, uh, there's a special presence of him in our midst. It's why we do church, it's why we have small groups, as you're going to see in a second, it's why we gather for prayer, because when we gather in his name, there he is. And then he says, secondly, that when we ask things, and First John would add, ask things according to his will, ask things in his name, uh, he's going to do that because there's power in the gathered church and there's power in prayer. I think it's one of the most amazing truths and things that Jesus ever taught us. Why is this important? In days of old, if a pastor was to call a all-church prayer meeting, see where I'm going with this? In a turbulent time within any culture, what would God's people do? They would come to that prayer meeting. They would not stay home to watch the country music awards. They wouldn't do that, which is this Wednesday night. They wouldn't stay home to watch the debate. Why would you want to do that when you could meet here to pray about the debate and all that's going on in our culture? And so I know I'm being a little bit fun-loving about it. It's about as fun-loving as I'm going to get today, so you might as well enjoy it. But I, but I need you to be here this Wednesday night to pray with us. We don't call you often as a church to come together and pray. And again, I know how some of you think. You think, well, really, is my participation all that important? What's the answer to that? Yeah. Every one of you, every one of us, and all of our campuses and venues, it's very important that we gather as a church regularly to pray. So I'll be leading us in this room, 6.30 this Wednesday night, for about an hour together of prayer. We're not going to keep you all night, but it's going to be a concentrated time. We're not going to sing 21 songs and pray for 10 minutes. We're going to sing maybe two songs and pray for the rest. And we're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for this election. 
We're going to pray for our church and our witness. We're going to pray for our community. Uh, we're going to come with, before God with really almost no agenda and, and say, as I said a couple weeks ago, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and ready our hearts before him for whatever is coming down the pike in our nation. It's really important for us as a church to do this. So I, I hope that you will join us. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we are uh, in a series starting today. It'll be a six-week series taking us all the way up to the beginning of Christmas uh, called Generations. As I mentioned last week, we are a multi-generational church. It's one of the great strengths of Scottsdale Bible Church. And so we're going to focus on that. You'll see more what I mean by this in a minute. And uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, I'm going to be away next week. <laughs> Good timing for the start of a new series. I'm going to be in Toronto preaching at Bayview Glen Church, which is the church we uh, sent Lucas Cooper too, and I have yet to go visit him there and preach there, and he's been there a few years, so I've committed to doing that, but I, I really didn't want to miss a beat in this series, so I've asked Schrader to be here next week, Tom Schrader, and he agreed to do it, and so Schrader will be here next week talking to us about the greatest generation, which really, he's better to do that than me anyway. He's just so awesome at that, and uh, it, you won't want to miss that. I'll be, I'll be tuning in myself, and so let's bow and pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, we do thank you for the gathered church here now and in our other venues and campuses and for Jesus' amazing words to us that where two or three are gathered in his name and we meet in your name, Lord, that you're there with us in a special way, in a powerful way, in a prayer answering way. And so God, I pray that as we gather now and even gather in future times, that we would be glad as the psalmist says, that we'd be glad that we came to the house of the Lord that we'd be glad that we met with you. And so now, Lord, as we open your book and ask you to speak to us, God, about this very important topic of generations, I pray, God, that you would indeed speak to us. Uh, maybe teach us something we don't know. Uh, at the very least, Lord, inspire us to live obediently and gracefully the life that you've called us to under you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. amen. So here's one of the most cool things about all of us gathered here today and then with chapel and venue and Mountain Valley and Cactus and those watching online is that everyone here and all those with us here right now, where you sit, you are a part of a particular generation. Did you know that? You're a part of a particular generation. Uh, most people haven't really thought about what a generation is. I threw at you last week, and we'll continue to do this, that a generation really spans about 18 to 25 years in its current generational makeup. Hopefully, you'll live longer than that. But a generation begins when a baby is born, and, it, and, a, and a new one starts when that baby grows up and starts having babies himself or herself. <laughs> and, and, and that's the start of a new generation. And so in our current culture right now, we have about five or six generations. We're going to look at five of them in this series. As you guys know, we have the builders, the boomers, the busters, the millennials, and then what we call the next generation or what some are trying to call the homeland generation. We'll see if that name sticks or not. And during this series, over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at each generation, including your generation, and see specifically what the Bible says both to and about each generation. And I got to let you know up front that the goal of this series is twofold. It's internal unity and external witness. 
Uh, that's really what we're trying to do. That's my agenda, to cement the internal unity that God has given to this church for 55 years now and to continue to move forward in a unified way, answering Jesus' prayer in John 17, and then external witness. That as you and I look at the 83% of people in Scottsdale and the outlying areas that don't go to church and invite them, that when they come to this place or one of our campuses and venues, they sense the unity. And at the very least, that unity is attractive to them and it becomes a huge part of our outreach. So that's what we're going to do in this series and it's going to be a great series. Now, before we begin slicing and dicing each particular generation, which we're going to start doing next week, I need to ask you, very personally, an important, what I'm going to call, precursor question. And the question is this, and I want to pretend that you and I are having a cup of coffee right now, just me and you, and I look across the table and I ask you this, what is your commitment what is your responsibility to the other generations around you? I need you to wrestle with that question. As I said just a second ago, you are right now where you sit, a part of a particular generation. You're either a builder or a buster or a millennial, whatever generation you're from. The question we need to wrestle with as we start this series is what is your commitment, what is your responsibility in your particular generation to the other generations around you? You see, I want us to wrestle with the interconnection of it all. I want us to fly at 40,000 feet today and get a bird's eye view, maybe even God's view, as to what he sees when he looks at multiple generations in our current time and ask the question, how do we relate to each other generationally? Have you ever thought about that? We talk a lot about a generation gap. Uh, we always hear older people whining about younger people and younger people whining about older people. But you see, I'm not going to get into all of that. I want to remain positive and ask ourselves, what is our commitment and responsibility to each other? And if you answer this at all in the affirmative, meaning if you actually do have a commitment and responsibility, and I hope you do, uh, then I ask you, what does it look like? What's it going to take for you to fulfill your responsibility? These are the questions I want to answer today. So I have one main point for you, and it's really the necessary starting point for an intelligent biblical discussion on generations, and here it is. And that is that it is crucial for any generation to look before, give me a click here, and to look after. It is crucial for any generation to look before themselves. We'll look and see what that means in a minute. And to look after themselves. And as you're going to see in a second, if you can do this, man, you're going to be in a great place when it comes to being an effective, God-honoring follower of Christ in your current generation. Now, let's visualize this because we have to fill in a lot of gaps. At any particular time, as I've been saying, there is a generation. We have five of them in culture right now, but it all begins with focusing on a particular generation. So whether it be the greatest generation, which are now our seniors, or the boomers, who are becoming seniors, or the busters, who are entering middle age, or the millennials, 
who as many of you know, now exist in greater number than even the boomers or even the next burgeoning generation, it all begins with any particular generation, now watch this, looking before to the generations that came before them and then looking after to the generations that are coming after them. See, that's the responsibilities we're going to see that God gives to any current generation. Now watch this, no matter what generation you might be in, that God wants you to recognize and honor some things about the generation or generations that have come before you, and then also to recognize and honor some things about the generation or generations that are coming after you. And it's only when you're able to do this that you will be following God and, if you will, doing your duty as one existing in any particular generation. So then the question becomes, what are the things that God says that any particular generation should look before and any particular generation should look after to? What are the things that we need to recognize and honor in those who gave birth to us as well as those that we have given birth to or will give birth to that will allow us to live life effectively and in a God-honoring way. And though there are lots of things that the Bible declares, what I want to do in our time remaining here today, and I think you're going to like this, is I want to share with you three things that the Bible says you and I need to look before to in the generations that have come before you. And then I'm going to share with you three things, so a total of six things, that the Bible says that we need to look to the generations after us, look after to. Six things that we need to do that will, now watch this, bring both unity and outreach, which is what we're after here when it comes to this idea of generations. So let's begin with looking before. And here is the first thing that any current generation must do when looking before to the previous generation, and that is that they must show honor. That would have been a great place for an amen. So let's take another run at that. They must show honor. Amen. I mean, if there's one thing that we need to do that would build unity and outreach with any and all generations that have come before us, it is to show them honor. Now, what does that mean and what is honor? Uh, One of my favorite passages of honor is Leviticus 19, verse 32. Bet you you didn't have your quiet time in that passage this morning. But here's what it says, Leviticus 19, 32. God is speaking, and I love the the color and the texture in these words here. He says, you shall rise up up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. Don't you love that? You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. That phrase, rise up, that I put in yellow there for you, is a beautiful term that, that in that culture back then simply showed respect. That when a monarch walked in the room or somebody important walked in the room, that you would stand up in their presence. Eventually, you'd kneel in their presence, but you'd initially stand up in their presence. And the idea was to show respect and to show care uh, for and honor for the person that you were rising up beforehand. So what God is saying here is that when we look at the entire generation before us, We are to figuratively or literally rise up in the presence of them. And then he uses that word honor. 
That word honor is a beautiful word. All of us know that word honor. I'm never not sure we've ever really defined it and described it. In the original Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in, this is the word hadar. And though the word literally means to show respect, it's fascinating. It's used in some context in the Old Testament. Now watch this, to picture something swelling up. And you're saying, what's that about? The idea is, is that as you focus on a particular trait of someone or even groups of someone, you swell that trait up in the presence of all so that they may see it. And in doing that, you show honor. That's the idea behind this idea of honor, that you look at someone or something, you find a, a very positive trait about them and you swell it up, you bloat it up so that all may see it. And the Bible says when you do that, by its very nature, that demonstrates honor. So when I sat down here this morning for our worship, I sat behind my friend Richard. And uh, Richard uh, is arguably just a little bit older than me, so he would come from the generation before me. And, uh, you know, one of the things, and I've told Richard this, that I love about Richard is that he is one of the most tender, sensitive men that I know in our church. In fact, he's about to cry right now just because I said that. <laughs> he really is. He is the kind of guy, I've been with him on mission trips and in other settings, that is not afraid to show his emotions, which so many men struggle with. And he's not afraid to be emotionally in the moment and display love and care and even appropriately tears. And I love that about Richard. Now, what did I just do with my friend Richard? I honored him. <laughs> and how did I honor him? I took a particular trait that he had and I swelled it up for you. I described it, I put it in front of you and, and, and I bloated it, if you will. And as soon as you do that, the Bible says that's the very definition of honor. Now, here's what I love about this biblical word honor. And that is that it is very genuine and authentic. And what I mean by that, I, I asked a leading question last night. I said, are we to honor people for their bad traits? And the whole congregation said, yes, I don't know what they're smoking, but that's not the right answer. <laughs> See, let's be real about this. The Bible never says that you're supposed to focus on a bad trait in somebody and swell it up. That's not honor. That's being disingenuine. That's actually lying, which is one of the Ten Commandments. So we're not supposed to do that. No, we're not supposed to honor people for the bad things that they've done. So, you know, some of you are saying right now, well, you know, I have this person in my life and I want to honor them, but they're just not a very good person. I'm not asking you to be inauthentic here. But think about this with me. Doesn't like every human being in the, made in the image of God have at least something about their life that you might honor, yes or no? I think so. I had two grandmas when I was growing up, like most of us did. I had one on my father's side and one on my mother's side. And my, my grandma on my father's side, we called her Graham, uh, she died when I was 14 years old, 1978. And uh, it was a huge loss for my family. She was the most fun grandma that I, I could ever imagine. She loved her grandkids. She would always smile when she'd see us and give us big hugs. And remember Archway cookies? You know, she had Archway cookies and that have now contributed to my heart disease. But anyway, she had Archway cookies and, and she used to throw football with us. And, 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 and I just, I loved Graham. Uh, my other grandmother was, not to put it mildly, but too mildly, but it was kind of the antithesis of that. 
I, 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 she just wasn't, she didn't really like her grandkids all that much. And she was just kind of, quite frankly, kind of mean. I mean, even in my adulthood, I went to see her at a nursing home at one point. And I mean, of all things, she was a minister's wife too. And, and, uh, and, and I went to see her, it was like early 90s. And I walked in and she said, hello, Jamie. You know, Russell, Russell was her, her husband who I never met. He died before I was born. She goes, you know, Russell struggled with his weight just like you do. <laughs> And again, I'd heard that so much growing up that I just said, thanks, Grandma. It's good to see you, too. And, I, and she was kind of heavy, so I wanted to say, well, that's a pot calling the kettle black. But that would not have been honoring. And, and she just wasn't a very nice person to be around. But, you know, when I do talk about my grandmother, there's one thing I do remember that is just one of the most fond memories of her. And that's that for some reason she loved my sister. My sister Katie has a lot of health problems. She's a juvenile diabetic, and she's had a pancreas transplant. She's had heart problems, kidney problems, eye problems. If you know the disease, I mean, she got diagnosed in 71 with it, and they didn't have the technology they have today. And so Katie's always struggled with her health. She was able to have one child and then no more. So she adopted another beautiful little girl years ago from Columbia. Her name is Sam. And, and for some reason, my grandmother took a real liking and a soft spot for my sister and her kids. And, and, and though one could cop an attitude with that and say, well, why doesn't she have a soft, why does she call me fat and dote on her? You know, I mean, I, I didn't see it that way. I just thought, you know, I got my needs met by this grandma over here and, and I'm really endeared by how she treats my sister. But what am I doing with that? I'm not being Pollyanna about the fact that this woman wasn't very nice. I'm simply swelling up some of the positive traits that she does have. And see, here's my simple point. That's what the Bible calls honor. And that's what any generation currently existing needs to do with the generation or generations that come before them. We honor them. We swell up their positive traits. We swell up their contributions. We rise up in their presence and even praise them for all that they have done. See, this is what prompted Tom Brokaw back in the 90s to coin the phrase, the greatest generation, referring to those born 1945 and before. And the reason that he did that is because they endured the Great Depression. They brought us through World War II. I mean, there were things that they did, no matter what you might think about your grandma or grandpa, there are things that they did that deserve honor. Amen? And that's what the Bible says, is that we're to honor those who have come before us. It's the first commitment that we have as we look before. Now, notice with me a second thing that any generation must do as they look back to the previous generation, and that is that they need to learn from them. So we begin by honoring them, and then we need to learn from them. And this is something, or one of the traits that some of you have dug your heels in on. Look at how Proverbs 13, verse 1 says it. I love the Proverbs. It says, a wise man hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Nice, pithy, straight from God phrase. Now focus on the, the, the two antonyms here, if you will. Not listen and hears. In the original Hebrew, both those words literally mean to listen in order to receive. It pictures a young person hearing some words from an older person, in this case, a father. And even if the words are hard to hear, like words of rebuke, 
the younger person still listens to the older person, and even if the words seem outdated, archaic, and seemingly of another generation, I've heard it all over the years, the younger person is still humble enough to give these words a proper hearing. And again, don't get me wrong, it does not mean that you always have to agree. I'm not sure that's really the point. What it does mean is that you're willing to show enough humility and respect to listen and receive the words to see if there is anything from them. The idea is that we have a lot to learn from the generations that come before us. They have lived life at a level that we have yet to live and there might be some wisdom in their words. When I was a Starting out as a young senior pastor almost 20 years ago now, I was uh, very green, even though I'd been a pastor for eight or nine years at an associate level, and I was very, very passionate. If you guys think I'm passionate now, I'm getting older now. I was really passionate back then. And I got to my first church in London, Canada, and it was a, a very, very, very tired old uh, Baptist church that had hit on some real hard times. It was the only job I could find at that age. And so I, 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 I went to this church. And uh, one of the things that needed changing in this church, as you can imagine, was the music. And I was naive enough to think that people were going to be reasonable about the music. And, and I quickly learned that messing with their music was akin to denying the resurrection of Jesus or something like that. And so I was just trying to update the music a little bit. It was in the 90s during the worship wars and, and all that. And, and, and I've always been very relational. So when there was a concerted amount of pushback, because I wanted it to be more band-driven, you know, and more contemporary. And, and back then we were using phrases like seeker-sensitive and all that. And I was wanting to, you know, bring all that in. Um, I just started to get with various groups to chat with them about this. Because I wanted to hear what they had to say. And I'll never forget one particular group that I was meeting with. Most of the groups were seniors in this church. And, and in one of the groups, there was this older, refined doctor. His name was Byrne. It was short for Bernard. And I'll never forget sitting with him in the room. And he said something that's going to seem so simple to you, but it impacted me so greatly. At one point, he said to me, Jamie, I understand that you want to be seeker sensitive, but let's not forget, we also need to be senior sensitive. Kind of a creative way of putting it. And I remember kind of being stunned by that comment and going, I think I've missed that one. <laughs> I, I mean, I wanted to just take away all of their stuff from them and say, I can get your kids back to church. I can get your grandkids back to church because they weren't coming. You guys just got to give a little. But I was taking a lot from them. And when he postured it between seeker-sensitive and senior-sensitive, that, that really hit me. And I'm the one at that time who started to get a little bit more reasonable. And, you know, believe it or not, uh, just that one comment from this older saint, Byrne, um, affected even my decision to build our chapel here. When we were coming up with the Compelled by Grace vision, I knew that we had asked some of our folks, even before I got here, to make some significant uh, changes and even sacrifices when it came to the kind of music that they love. Somebody once said that people worship by memory, and I really think it's true. Most of us worship by the music that we were raised with, and I was raised with the Stones and the Beatles and things like that, and so when I got saved, I, I gravitated toward contemporary Christian music, but there's a lot of folks who, who don't, 
And there's a lot of folks. So when we built our chapel, a huge part of that vision was to make sure that we honor those that have come before us. And again, I only know to do that because I have learned from them. So any current generation, we show honor to the previous generation. And any current generation, we learn from them. And then finally, because we're going to run out of time here pretty fast, and we have a whole other set to look at, uh, notice with me a very important third action as we look before to any generation, and that is that we must offer help, especially as they age. Guys, this one is so important in our fast-paced, very complex 21st century culture in which people are living longer, and nobody saw that one coming. This one's huge. And I got to warn you right now, God is really hard-hitting on this one. But look at what God says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, through the Apostle Paul. If this wasn't in the Bible, I'm not sure I could receive this. Uh, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, I hate it when people hang salvation over my head. How about you? I really do. I, I hate it when people say, don't do that or you're going to go to hell. You know, don't do that or you're really not a Christian. I sit there and go, wow, that sounds like a lot of grace coming out of you. I mean, I just don't like it when people do that. But I can't argue with this one. Why? Because it's God doing it. <laughs> it's the Apostle Paul. And he's not being hyperbolic here. He's saying that if we do not provide for our own, I'll define that in a second, and especially those of our own household, it's like we've denied the faith and we're worse than an unbeliever, which in that Greco-Roman culture back then was a pagan. Somebody who didn't have anything to do with the Judeo-Christian value system. And when it says provide for his own, some translations translate that relatives. And I think that's a terrible translation. If you look at the context of 1 Timothy 5, it begins in verses 1 and 2 and 3, talking about men and women and younger men and older men and younger women and older women. In other words, it's talking about generations. And then it talks in a few verses about widows in general. And then it gets to verse 8 and says that if anyone does not provide for his own, when the Greek word is very generic here, it literally means, now watch this, your own, those in your sphere of influence, those who are your friends, your family, your coworkers, your fellow church members. It's anybody that is your own, that you're in relationship with. And what it's saying here is that as you look back to those in the generation before you, if any of them are remotely your own, it's part of your responsibility to care for them and to provide for them. I'm not boasting here, I'm really not, and I'm not going to belabor this point, but I will tell you uh, in three weeks I'll go to see my parents who live in Worcester, Ohio, and it will be my 37th trip seeing my parents since I moved here to the valley. And the reason is, is because I told the elders when I came here, I have a huge value that as my parents age and they're now in their 80s, they will not be abandoned, if you will, by their eldest son. And so every quarter I fly into Columbus, Ohio, I rent a car, I travel two hours north to this old farming community where they live and I, and I visit mom and dad. And I have dinner with both of them, breakfast with dad the next day, lunch with mom, and then I drive back to the airport. And I'm here in Scottsdale for uh, the rest of the week. Uh, but the reality is, is that I do that because I love my parents. And, and part of my, and it doesn't feel like a duty, but part of my love for them is to make sure that I help them. It's fascinating. I don't think dad would mind me sharing this. You know, my dad's not a very emotional man at all. I mean, he's, 
He's just my dad. And, and uh, he, you know, he never, it was back in the old days, he never told me he loved me, you know, when I was growing up. And I don't, I've gotten therapy, I've gotten help, but he never told me he loved me. And, and uh, you know, mom used to always say, you know, don't you know your dad loves you? And I go, well, I don't hear it very often. But anyways, but, but he's still not all that emotional, but he is getting more emotional in his 80s. And last time I was there for a visit, he just said kind of casually and almost in a Socratic way, he said, um, you know, I think you need to start making your visits longer. I said, really? And I knew not to say, you know, hey, tell me more. What are you really feeling? I mean, that would not have gone well. I just let it slide. I looked at him and what do you think I said? No, dad, I'm too busy. See, I got to get back to Scottsdale and run the church. I said, okay, how much longer? And he said, why don't you make it two days rather than one? So I'm going to start doing that. See, I want you to imagine something with me for a minute. I want you to imagine what would happen if all the generations that came before a particular generation were to feel honored, swelled up for the positive traits that they have in the eyes of all those who come after them. And imagine if they felt listened to, not always agreed with, we're not talking about that, but at least heard and considered in what they said. And imagine if they knew that they were helped and cared for by those that come after them. Let me ask you, doesn't this seem like something God would applaud and be proud of? (laughs) It is, because this is what he has said to us, that you and I need to do for the generation that come before us. And once we do this, we're going to see this is going to build a lot of unity and foster our outreach, and we're more usable in the hands of God, and people feel more loved. Now, as I said earlier, that's only half the equation. We got about 15 minutes left. And I want you to remember our main point that I said earlier that a generation needs to look before, but part of our responsibility too is that any current generation needs to look to the generation after them, after them. In other words, we need to look to the generations that we give birth to, not just our kids, but the entire generation. And to do this, we need to do an additional three things. And the first thing we need to do, and I could almost stop the whole message with this because this is so important and key. So we're going to spend most of our time in this first one is that we need to bless them. We need to show blessing. You know, we use that word blessing in our culture kind of often, I guess. I mean, you, you might say offer a blessing for a meal or, you know, somebody sneezes, you say, God bless you and what have you. But I'm not sure people really know what a, a blessing is. It's, it's a very, very powerful, powerful biblical trait. In Genesis 49, verse 28, it gives us a sample of what a blessing looks like. The context here is that Jacob, who's also known as Israel, is sending his 12 sons uh, into what is going to be Israel as a nation, and they're going to set up the 12 tribes of Israel. And in so doing that, he's giving each of them a blessing. And look at how it describes it. It says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one, with the blessing appropriate to him. I I love the wording here. He blessed them, each one, now now we're going to parse this out in a second here, with a blessing appropriate to each individual son. Uh, That word, bless, in the original Hebrew, because some of you don't even know what this really means, uh, is this. It means to endue someone with power for success, prosperity, 
and longevity. It, it simply means to, it's a physical as well as a verbal thing, to, to come up and put your hands on somebody and, and to envision for them as they follow God and do life his way, a positive future. It's a very personal thing. You're sharing with them what their particular strengths are, what their particular God-given abilities are. And again, kind of like honor, but we honor those that came before us. We bless those that come after us, and you swell that thing up in that person's life or in that generation's life. And in so doing, you bless them. It simply envisions a positive future, a hopeful future. And this word blessed, some of you might or might not know, this is used literally hundreds of times in the Old Testament. So we know a lot about this word. And what is so cool about this word, an idea of blessing, now watch this, is that it was never some Pollyanna, mushy, sentimental, overly pious or overly positive kind of thing. No, it was always based on reality, God-based reality, and the personal strengths and traits of the person or persons being blessed. So you can read about it later, but if you read the verses in, in Genesis 49 before this summary verse here, you actually read the blessing that Jacob gave to his 12 sons, each of them individually. And as you read it, most of them are really positive and life-giving, but some of them are in a warning sense. I mean, some of them are basically saying, you've really messed up life, and now you're going to have to pay the penalty for this, but hey, don't worry, God is still with you. <laughs> that type of thing. So blessings are never this kind of like, let's just stick our head in the sands and, and pretend that what the current generation is doing is okay. That's not it at all. No, the idea is to simply point out what a hopeful future in God or in Christ would look like as we bless them. And when you understand blessing this way, gang, you realize, now watch this, because this is so important for us today as we do this series, is that it doesn't mean that you always have to agree with the person that you are blessing and all that he or she does, not at all. What it means is that in the midst of even disagreement, you take the good and God-given positive traits that they have and you affirm these with words and actions from yourself. Again, it's the corollary to honor, but it's what we do with those coming behind us. As many of you know, I, I think some of you guys know, I have about three kids in my life. Not about, I have three kids in my life. <laughs> that would be scandalous, wouldn't it be? No, there's nothing going on. I, Kim and I have three children, and uh, they're now adults. They're ages 26, 24, and 22. And, and I got to be careful what I say here, because I can't break any confidence. I'm very honest with you guys about my life, but my wife and children have reminded me that this is my life I can be honest about, that not their life. But I did ask the kids if I could share at least this. You know, uh, like many of you and like some of you are going to do, I've had to help usher my kids into adulthood. And again, without breaking confidence, just suffice it to say, and some of you have journeyed this with me, I, I see Ed here, it, it's been very difficult uh, for at least a couple of them at a couple of times. They have made decisions and they have gone in directions that Kim and I would not applaud, to say it mildly. And that creates tension, that creates strife. And, you know, we share it with them, and you'd love it if when you shared it with your kid, they'd fall down and call you blessed and say, oh, gosh, that's wonderful, I didn't know that. But that wasn't the response when we would share it with them. And, and, and so there's always been that tension in trying to get my, my two girls and my son into adulthood. And, and here's my point. In a couple of the scenarios, and this will not be hard for some of you to picture who, who, who know me, 
In a couple of the scenarios, I was so strong in trying to fight my case with the, and I would still defend this, with the bonehead decisions that they were making that I really did not agree with, that did not collate with some of the values that Kim and I have. And I was so strong on those things because I felt like I was doing the right thing, and I think in many ways I was. But I got to a tipping point where in a couple occasions with a couple of my kids, basically the next words out of their mouth, I realized I'd gone too far. And the reason that I realized I'd gone too far, and this actually broke my heart, is because in a couple scenarios over the last few years, in not so different words, my kids have said to me, well, I can't imagine how disappointed you are in us. And I can't imagine how much I have let you down. And gosh, I'm going to get weepy at this. At one point, I looked at one of my kids and I said, do you, do you doubt my love for you? And, and this kid just started to cry. And I realized that my kid did. And I realized in my desire to try to right what I believe would be their wrongs, I, I, I missed this opportunity to bless them. I, I missed the opportunity to put my hands on them and say, yeah, we disagree right now, and I believe I'm right. In fact, when you get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right about this. <laughs> but in the midst of that, somehow, somehow, they didn't feel the blessing. Can any of you relate? And oh my gosh, when that was pointed out to me, I remember this one tender moment with one of my kids. I just grabbed him and I hugged him, and I said, I love you more than you'd ever know. And I am so proud of so much going on in your life. And forgive me for failing to communicate that. Forgive me for my zeal to try to help you live a more better life connected with God that I failed to bless what you're doing. You see, our kids, our, the next generation, so desperately need that from you and I. You see, some of you didn't get that blessing from your mom or your dad. I get that. I mean, it's a tumultuous time and culture has been for 50, 60 years and so get this, I actually spend a lot of my time throughout the week as a pastor and as a friend to many of you, helping to provide for you what you didn't get from mom and dad. And by the way, that's legitimate. That's part of what the church does, is that we bless each other for where fallen families were unable or unwilling to provide. And that's why it's so important for you and I as a church that when we look at the generation or generations that come behind, we have to make sure, whether they're in our family or not, that there is blessing, that there is blessing upon them. And again, you don't have to be fake about it. You don't have to agree with something you don't agree with, but bless them. I'll just let you know on this. I mean, when I saw the video for the Generations thing, I, I cringed a little bit at the millennial that they chose for our video. Some of you caught it because, man, just right in our face, two big old tattoos right on his thighs there. <laughs> and, and you know what my fear was? Because I, I don't mind that stuff at all. In fact, I can make a biblical argument that they're okay. Don't email me on that, but I can. And, and um, <laughs> But I cringed a little bit because I, I do sometimes still fear and wonder. I thought... I wonder what some of our older generation might think of that. See, I've been around church a long time, and I, I, I know it's very hard for some of you to believe, but people can get kind of stodgy, especially church people. And, and, and yet here's what we need to understand about that, gang. When we get stodgy, when we get distant, when we get cold, when we get judgmental, it all kills grace. And it all kills 
any chance for being a multi-generational church that God has called us to be, that has unity and outreach. And again, I'm not asking you to agree with that. You might not agree with tattoos. You might have concerns about them. I'm a reasonable man. But is that really an issue that we're going to make <laughs> in between generations? I hope not. There's bigger issues to fry. There's bigger things at stake, God-like things that are going on in our young people. And those are the battles that we need to fight. We have to bless those who have come behind us. It's one of the most powerful things we offer to the generation coming after. Now, we've got four minutes left. Very, very quickly, let me give you uh, the other two. In fact, can we go to the other two here? Because I'm pretty much out of time. Just skip the scriptures, go to the third one here. I think it's like button number five. There you go, perfect. Uh, we offer uh, example and direction. I do this because some of you need to fill in the blanks or you get mild anxiety in the parking lot. So let's fill it in. <laughs> We provide blessing and example and then direction. Uh, just real quick on the example. You can read it later. It's actually our theme verse for this passage. I didn't know which one I was going to use, but I, I used Titus 2, verses 2 through 8. And, I, and I, your homework maybe would be to read Titus 2. And when you do, you'll see that it says older men are to be this way, older women are to be this way. And a huge reason that God says older men and older women are to be a certain way, isn't this interesting, is not because of legalism or, or even being didactic or teaching in nature. It's because we're to be examples. Some of you right now feel that the younger generation doesn't really listen to you, that you're distant from them, that they don't get you. Uh, look, uh, you need to ask them what kind of an example you might be being to them. Because again, I had two grandmas. Did I tell you guys about my two grandmas? <laughs> and you know what's interesting? And you gotta laugh at this. If you know anything about church history or denominationalism, my, my one grandma that was really fun and threw a football with us and hugged us, she was a Presbyterian for crying out loud. <laughs> They're not known to be fun junkies, but this woman who, who, who was a Presbyterian just loved me and she was a great example to me of what joy and faith and other things look like and relationality. And the reality is, is that you and I need to be examples of that kind of grace-based stuff. And then you can read the Deuteronomy passage later. We do need to give direction to the next generation. But don't ever forget this about giving direction to somebody. I love this. Somebody once said that it takes about 100 hours of hangout time to earn one teachable moment with somebody you're trying to teach. Isn't that true? It really is, yeah, Frank's going, really, 100 hours? It does. It, it takes a lot, trust me, I got kids. It takes a lot of hangout time to earn that teachable moment. So as we give direction to the next generation, you better be rolling up your sleeves and being involved with them in life-giving ways. Only then are they going to really receive the direction that we have for them. So imagine once again, and with this we're going to be done, what would happen if all the generations that came after a particular generation were to be blessed, given a positive and life-giving future as they follow the Lord. And imagine if they had a solid example to follow, not legalistic, but a relational and grace-based example of what it means to follow God. And imagine if they had solid direction, earned teachable moments from us. You see, this is God's vision of generations. This is what he hopes for, and this is what he is shooting for. And here's his promise, and with this we're done. It's your take-home point. When we do this, we will have internal unity, and we will have external witness, which is what we're after in this series.
So, so here's my encouragement to you over the next five weeks. Hopefully you'll come back. Hopefully now you realize part of my fear was is that unless we're talking about your generation, you won't come back. Don't do that. As you now see, you've got a lot to offer to every generation. So as you come back and as we now do a deep dive into each of these five generations over the next five weeks, I want you to ask yourself, how can I honor? How, how, how can I help? How can I look before to the generations that have come before me and do the things that God wants me to do? And then as we're maybe talking about a generation that comes after you, ask the questions, how can I bless? How can I, how can I be an example to them? How can I give direction to them? Because you see, we're all in this together and we got a lot of things to do. And as we do this, I believe God will be honored. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in you and in our church. And so with that said, let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you are to us. Thank you that you care so much about this world and your church and each one of us here. And that, God, you care enough even to help us understand how we relate uh, to those around us, even those not like us or in the same generation. So God, help each of us to give cogent thought to these things for our own lives. God, we all have people in our lives that come from different generations. So God, help us to be those who look before and look after, given what your word says. And God, as we do that, give us unity. Give us a great witness for Christ. Use us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Amen.